Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central, powered by G-MIG's 5th Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. Oh, man, this is always a fun one, Chad. Not only is it Cyhawk Week, so we get a lot to uh, to talk about and chew on here, but we get a chance to chat with Coach Brian Ferentz today. First of all, my buddy Chad Lystico. How are you today, man? Great. Yeah, yeah. real fun to have. Uh, this is our first foray into in-season assistant coach interviews, so excited about that. Uh, an assistant coach might even be a little bit of a light title yeah, for, for Coach Brian Ferentz. Coach, thanks for giving us some time today. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for giving us time on in a busy week and a busy day. But I want to take you back a little bit on Saturday. Uh, special day. We, we Everybody's had a chance to kind of chat with your dad. He's he's almost, I think, kind of sick of talking about this hunt to uh, to finally pass Hayden Fry. But, man, that had to have been a special day for you. Can you kind of take us down to... Uh, the sideline on Saturday afternoon when when you realize your dad's the winningest coach in Iowa football history. Sure. Well, you know, obviously it was um, it was a tough, highly contested game, and we knew that going in, and uh, we knew we were going to play a good football team. They're going to be motivated. Certainly didn't help ourselves early in the game with, with some of our uh, some of our self inflicted wounds there. So to come out in the second half and and put some things together, play a little bit better, uh, be able to get the win. Certainly, that was most important Saturday. The best we could do was be one and zero on Saturday. But uh, being one and zero Saturday was able to uh, we were able to you know, go ahead and get that uh, that win for the head coach, which is which is all we need. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you guys the same thing that I, I told the Big Ten Network crew on Friday when they asked about it. Uh, number one, in this profession, you never take anything for granted. Uh, certainly, a remarkable accomplishment. But uh, I think when you look at the big picture. You know, it's not really about who has 144, who has 143. I think what's more interesting is you look at two head coaches over 39 years in one game that are able to win almost 300 games, you know, combined, or excuse me, 400 games combined. Um, and you think about all the guys that have come through this program and played here uh, and been a part of that, and, and you're talking about essentially the same culture and the same lessons. I think that's remarkable, and I think that's really what we should all be celebrating and, and thinking about all right take me back to right around halftime all right games three to nothing i'm a fan sitting here in the who studios waiting to do a, a post-game call-in show coach so as far removed uh, mentally as you are from from being on the sideline as a coach i'm wrapped up i'm disappointed in the way the team has looked in that first half and with about 90 seconds to play in the first half the camera catches you and coach ferentz and there's kind of a light moment between the two of you i saw a relaxed demeanor from both of you, and it put me at ease as a fan. What what did you see in that first half that gave you more calm than, than I saw as a panicked fan here in Des Moines? Well, um, I, you know, I don't know how calm I was. Maybe, maybe he told a good joke or something. But, uh, you know, what you try to do is, uh, look, I've seen us practice. I've seen us prepare. Um, I've seen us dating back now talking about really about 18 months in the system i know what we're capable of um, and and what we were doing in the first half was clearly not that and um what you try to do is is uh, as a coach you learn over time really it's about staying the course trusting your preparation uh, trusting the things you've done in the process that that you've adhered to uh, so w- what we felt like i think at the end of that first half was look, we're fortunate to be in a three nothing football game uh, we haven't done ourselves any favors what we need to be concerned about and what we need to do is, is really just focus on, 
on doing what we do a little bit better with a little bit more detail, cleaning up our execution, uh, quitting the unforced errors, and really eliminating some of that bad football that we had played up until that point. Uh, and that was the focus of, of halftime. And I thought we were able to respond and do that a little bit better in the third quarter. Yeah, coach, uh, regarding some of the, you know, the, the stuff you'd like to clean up, I, I would, I'm sure you're not thrilled with the passing game production, at least. Uh, Nick Easley didn't have a catch for the first time in his career, and, and Brandon Smith seemed to have a little trouble on the edge. Um, what uh, what was your kind of assessment of that wide, wide receiver group, the passing game, what wasn't clicking, and maybe those two guys in particular? Sure. Well, you know, I think um, you'd have to be really crazy to look at the first half and feel like we threw the ball as effectively as, as we'd like to. But more importantly, as we need to moving forward, if we're going to have a good football team, and uh, I would start with uh, in, in the case of both of those guys, um, you know, I think this everything in the passing game uh, certainly starts with protection. We felt like that was there in the first half. We, we were pleased with the pass protection. Uh, thought our tackles did an excellent job. We knew they had a good rusher. We knew they had a good defensive line. Uh, these guys had a lot of sacks a year ago, so everything starts with protection. That was there. The next component of the passing game is always going to be a quarterback. And, you know, I think, frankly, we, we probably didn't play as well there as we would have liked. Mm-hmm. You know, Nick didn't have a catch. Uh, certainly had an opportunity on the second, third down of the game, and, and we throw the ball in the dirt. So uh, that doesn't help anything. And then with Brandon, same thing. First play of the game, we got an opportunity to get him a catch out there in the hitch. Not a great ball, probably catchable, but not a great ball. That didn't help. Um, so. And when you have multiple things that, that are causing issues in the passing game, it's hard to find any rhythm and really get anything going. So uh, certainly the emphasis for us right now uh, is going to be on cleaning up play, not, not just at the receiver position, but at the quarterback position and uh, up front with the protection as well. Uh, this is kind of a, you're kind of in a unique spot with this Cyhawk game. Uh, you know, as you look back, you took part in several of these and you won a couple in 2003, 2004, and then lost one in 2005. What's as you as you think back to those times as a player, and what these players now are going through? What sticks with you more, the wins or the losses? Uh, I think as a player or coach, you you tend to dwell more on failures and um, things that you did not do well. I think if you're a competitor, it's a lot easier to remember the things that didn't go your way uh, that you did not get done. And and so for me, it's you know in my entire career whether I was playing or coaching, dating all the way back to junior high, I, I remember games we lost uh, more specifically. And then in some unfortunate years, you end up remembering a lot of games. Uh, a little bit harder to remember the ones you win sometimes. So uh, for, for me, you know, it's always going to be the games we lost. I, I know what that feels like. Uh, this is an important game. This is a big game. And this is a big deal for, for the state uh, on both sides. This is a big, big deal for both teams on both sides, the players on both sides. Uh, but certainly, if you're from the state of Iowa, I think this game carries a little bit extra special meaning. So uh, the simplest answer to your question is whether you're a player or a coach, I know this, you feel a lot better when you win this game mm-hmm. than when you lose it. So uh, what you end up remembering is really irrelevant. Uh, but living in the state for a year is a lot easier when you win as opposed <laughs> to when you lose. Is that an emotion, Coach, that you're trying to convey to the team at any point during this this week? I don't think you have to. Uh, you know, one thing I know about our football team and our coaching staff, we, we have a lot of people that grew up in this state. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of people with a lot of experience in this game. Um, we have a lot of people that, that understand what it means to be an island and how important this thing is. So what we don't need to do is teach anybody or convey anything. They understand that. 
And what we do need to do is keep the focus on what will make a difference on Saturday at 4 o'clock. And, and it's not how you feel about it. It's not pep talks. It's not emotion. It's how you go out and you play the football game. And that's what's really important right now, and that's where we need to keep our focus. We've had a conversation just yesterday and today. We didn't have a show on Monday. Uh, but my co-host, Chris, is a big Cyclone fan. I'm a big Hawkeye fan. We've been trying to decide who kind of gets an advantage here in the fact that Iowa State uh, didn't play in week one. But I think the more specific question I'd have for you, Coach, is we, we've been trying to decide how much of an advantage, disadvantage it is to not have game film on a team from the previous week. So in a normal year of preparation, how much of your weekly game prep would be based on last week's film? How big of a, of a miss is that this week? Well, you know, it just it depends really on who you're playing and, and more importantly, who they play. And certainly you'd have a better beat on personnel had they played a full game on Saturday night. Um, but they had the lineup and they went out there and they did a nice job for the seven plays that they played. Uh, they put guys on the field. We know who those guys were. Um, you know, and structurally, we saw some things that, that lead us to believe that they haven't just totally abandoned what they did last year. And I certainly wouldn't imagine they would. They were very good defense a year ago. Uh, did a very nice job. Uh, we're top 25, I believe, in the country in scoring defense, which, which in my opinion, is, is a hell of an accomplishment in that league because that league is a track meet and it's all about scoring points. And they were able to limit teams. And not only did they limit teams, they limited really good offenses. And so uh, when you go back and, and you try to game plan and prepare, you're certainly basing a lot of things off of what you saw on tape. But, um, you know, I piggyback on, on the conference conversation. They play in a conference where, uh, I would say it's a throwing league. There's a lot of passing that goes on in that league. And um, formationally and personnel-wise, there's not always going to be a lot of great tape for us to watch from their from their games that, that aren't against us. So uh, typically in this series, uh, dating back a long time, the best tape we can see is going to be from our previous games against that staff. Okay. So um, as far as the, the advantage or disadvantage, you know, I don't know. We, we really can't worry about those things. All we can do is prepare to the best of our ability uh, and go out on Saturday and, and compete to our to our highest level. Kirk Ferentz talked yesterday. Uh, I thought pretty enlightening answer uh, when we asked about uh, the returns of, of your four suspended uh, tackles, uh, just all the stuff that they uh, – kind of their entire punishment, uh, you know, four hours of community service on Friday, uh, eight on Saturday during the game. That's got to be a somewhat humbling – um, and obviously you serve on the scout team. You know, these are starting linemen on the scout team. Um, as you kind of discuss discipline as a staff, uh, is what do you hope that the other guys, you know, you know, you kind of have a sense these guys are learning their lesson. What do you hope the other guys maybe on the team learn from watching them go through that and kind of earn their spot back? Sure, that's, that's a good question, Chad. And what I'll tell you is this. Um, you know, I remember a couple of weeks ago when we visited with you guys uh Phil and I and uh, LeVar, mm -hmm. you know, um, I get the question about, you know, what's the approach without the tackles? And and, and I understand that question from the outside. I really do. But uh, I think one thing that, that you have to understand from our perspective, uh, football is a violent game and um, there are no guarantees. So, so one thing that we always understand as a program, not just as a coaching staff, but as a program and players is, you know, all of us are replaceable. That's where you have to start. This is a tremendous privilege to be able to do this um, and be a part of this program. But at some point, we're, we're all going to get replaced. Um, mm. You know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, 
I promise you we'll kick the game off at 4 p.m. on Saturday and somebody will be calling the play. Right. Probably better than me. So <laughs> we can all be replaced. And, and uh, you know, guys get hurt, injuries happen. What you have to do with is, is just deal with those things. And I, I always laugh. I get home and I'm, and I'm with my family and my brother-in-law asks a question about so-and-so getting hurt. And, oh, my gosh, what are you guys going to do? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, you know, I didn't even really notice. Um, mm. Because you, the show goes on. Right, I guess that's that's my point. And we all need to be able to adjust and move on the fly. Unfortunately, we didn't have those four guys last week. We had a lot of good stories of guys stepping in and doing what you expect them to do. And, um, you know, that that's the world we live in as far as the discipline issue goes. Uh, it's like I said a couple weeks ago, I, I just I feel very strongly about how we do things. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. I, I don't know that our way is the right way or the best way. I just know it's the best way for us. And, and at the end of the day, if we're going to have a good football team, if we're going to have a good program and, and if we're going to produce good football players and more importantly, people that think right and do right, um, there's going to have to be accountability. And, and I think everyone on our football team needs to understand uh, that, that there will be no bending of the rules. There will be no special provisions. Uh, we're not going to have individual programs. This is a football team. There's expectation. It's, it's totally normal for guys to make mistakes. That's what college-age guys do. When I was a younger person, I made a lot of mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes now. I still do. Um, so I think what's important is, and, and we try to be very fair about it, everything is dealt with on a case-by-case basis. Um, we're going to treat everybody fairly, not everyone the same. But at the end of the day, uh, there's going to be standards, and if you don't meet those standards, there's going to be consequences. So everyone on our football team, they need to understand that, and it's not a threat. Um, and it's not even really a punishment. Uh, I look at more like a lesson. And sometimes we all need to learn lessons. I know I'm guilty sometimes too. That's a good answer. Real good answer. Uh, wanted to, as we wrap and up I'd, here. I'd just say real quick, Coach, don't get hit by that bus. We, nobody's yeah. had the chance to secure that com domain yet. So, you know, you got to give it a couple <laughs> years at this position, right? Well, I, I'm surprised that's not secured yet. Uh, <laughs> trust me, I'm working on it every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, just watch out. Those buses are kind of reckless over by Kinnick, though, so just just be careful <laughs> over there, please. You do have to look out for yeah. <laughs> uh, excellent. Uh, you're getting into kind of the nitty-gritty of this week's game. Uh, it seems like Iowa State, from my perspective, they changed a little bit the way they played defense um, after you guys played them in Ames last year and won that game. What do you... As you look at the, the your game plan this week, you can just give us the whole game plan here if you want. Yeah, but, they aren't uh, listening, Coach. So yeah. <laughs> you go right ahead. This is Hawk, to, Hawkeyes only. Well, where do you, you know? How do you feel like you guys need to kind of attack this defense? You no, know, I think um, you know when you look at the game a year ago, it's, it's kind of an outlier. I think if, if you're going to be honest and right. evaluate it, both both in our performance and and in theirs. So. Um, I just I think what you have to look at in this football game is that this is a really sound defensive football team. And, and it starts with, obviously, the head coach, who's a, a very good football coach and um, you know has a tough, hard-minded background. Uh, but when you talk about their defense, I think you really got to start with Coach Haycock. He's done a tremendous job, um, a really tremendous job. And, and I remember telling the media that the, before the last year, the game, the play-by-play people, I just remember telling them, you know, you're talking about a really good football coach that's coached a lot of football. And if you look at them all the way back to Toledo when they've been together as a staff, um, the one thing they've done is they, they've, they've found a way to defend what they need to defend on a weekly basis. And all I mean by that is, you know, going back to the Mid-American Conference, they, 
they looked a little bit different than they look right now um, with some of their coverages and the way they played some things. But structurally, they're pretty similar. And then you look at them in 2016 as they were improving every week and growing uh, and learning. Um, you know, they, they were morphing and they were becoming a good defense in that conference and defending some of the things they were seeing on a week-to-week basis in the Big 12. And then I thought last year they certainly took the next step in doing that. Um, but, you know, some of the things that they went to later in the season were certainly a little bit different than what they were doing in the beginning of the season when we played them. Yeah. And that's something that we have to take into account. And uh, c- certainly there's some uncertainty on how they're going to come out and, and try to match up with some of the things we do that are a little bit different from maybe what they see on a week-to-week basis there. Uh, but the flip side of that is there's some things they do uh, that we don't see on a week-to-week basis in, in the Big Ten. So uh, the bottom line is we're playing a very well-coached football team. It's very sound in what they do. They're very structured in their defense, and they play very well within that structure. And, and although it may be a little bit different at times, uh, they know how to fit, and, and they know how to play within the coverages that they play. And to me, that's just a sign of coaching. I, I have the utmost respect for those guys and, and the way they've coached their football team. Most importantly, they play very hard defensively, uh, and they rally to the football. And, and you look at the games they won last year, some of those big games, a lot of that had to do with playing really good defense, and that's not to minimize anything else they do. Uh, but their football team, you know, it's like any football team, it's going to start and end with good defense. So uh, we, we have a big challenge in front of us. We look forward to that. We, we certainly embrace that, and we look forward to competing on, on Saturday afternoon in Kennedy Stadium. Final questions, Coach. Uh, first of all, with Ivory Kelly Martin, any updates on, on his status right now, or is he still kind of up in the air for the weekend? Yeah, we're still trying to, you know, figure out where we're going to be in the backfield there okay. uh, on Saturday. Uh, he's working awfully hard to get back from that little nick. But uh, the bottom line for us is, you know, it's kind of like the tackle situation a, a week ago. Uh, whoever's available on Saturday, we're going with them. You know, if it's Ivory, great. Uh, if he's not there, we've got other guys that are willing to step in there and carry the load. and We feel good about that. Yeah, it looked like you really uh, utilized that kind of three-headed monster, for lack of better terms, on Saturday that we talked about or anticipated during the offseason. Then in that second half, Torn Young gets the ball and really looked fantastic. We've been trying to decipher since that that we saw those those breakout runs from him if he was the most dynamic back, if this was uh, a fresh legs working against a, a tired, beat up defense. As you kind of went back and evaluated this, how do you how do you break that down? Well. You know, uh, I, I remember saying on media day that um, I think the word I used uh, to describe Torn was unspectacular. And uh, I would stand by that. I meant it as the highest compliment. And I still believe that. Uh, what I mean by it is Torn Young is a guy that, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't jump off when they're out there running in condition other than he's working his tail off. But, you know, he's probably not the fastest back we have. Uh, he's probably not the most elusive and agile back we have. Uh, but I know this, he's a violent runner, he's a good runner, he's a really good football player, and the best thing he does is get on the football field and carry the ball. And and we needed a spark, and Torrin Young was the guy that went in there and gave it to us. And, you know, I look at a guy like Torrin Young or a guy like Brady Ross, uh, guys that kind of are a little bit unsung, but go in there and, and they add tempo to our football team. And, and we take on a certain identity uh, when we have guys like that in the football game. And those are the kind of guys you want to play with. It makes you feel good. Coach, thanks for giving us time here on a Wednesday, man. I know this is a, a busy week for you, and it's always a busy time, but thank you very much. We yeah, appreciate it. it. means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, Ross, Chad, thank you guys very much.
You bet. I'll talk to you soon. Coach Brian Ference from the Iowa coaching staff. That's uh, man. We didn't quite get the uh, what the those guys in names. Is that what it was last time, Chad? We had had a little bit of fun. I I say we had some fun with Coach Ference, and then I think one of the t-shirt companies had yeah, right. a little bit of fun or made some money off of it. I'm not sure exactly how that worked. Yeah, we can talk about what stood out in that interview and maybe our next segment when we get Emmert back. But uh, good interview, a lot yeah, of fun. That was fun. Mark Emmert will join us next as we roll along with Hawk Central on 1460 KXNO. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register, powered by G-Mig's Fifth Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. Taking you up to the top of the hour where Cardinal Baseball will take over right at 555. We kick out Brian Ferentz and we bring in the real know-it-all. Mark Emmert joins us now. Mark, how you doing, sir? Wow. I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, the nice intro. Yeah, yeah. You missed out on our uh, Brian Ferentz interview. Let's see, Chad. What was the we didn't like I said we didn't really get the those guys in names type of bomb. He did seem a little bit more reserved. He was very complimentary of yeah. the Iowa State coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was that was my biggest takeaway is just how uh, how much he complimented the coaching over there. And I do know that they do respect uh, that coaching staff a lot, uh, just because uh, uh, they've done a real solid rebuild over there. Yeah. And uh, this is gonna be a real tough game. And uh, the other thing that I I thought his best answer was on the suspensions, um, just sort of big picture, uh, um, what it all means, and being replaceable, getting hit by a bus, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, actually kind of makes you think about it outside of football too. It's know? I've said this on the air, man. It applies to all of us. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, we all think we're a lot more important to the machine <laughs> than we actually are, Especially man. Especially Emmert. He's, <laughs> you know, you got to knock him down a peg. You know, it's it, it's just part of the world. And I think that is really good perspective to give to those those guys. And the fact that he's that's what he's looking for the rest of the team to pick up on, not just those four dudes that are out there doing community service. Let's talk about what actually happened on the field a little bit. We didn't get much of a chance to do that with Coach Ferentz. So, Mark, I'd, uh, I'd like to just talk to you about that for just a moment. Uh, from sitting here in Des Moines, I was pretty panicked at halftime, oh, three to nothing. I can I, imagine. Yeah, and, you know, I, looking back on it, obviously, I have the hindsight of realizing it's all self-inflicted wounds. You know, the dropped passes, the, the timely penalties, um, that's really what kept that game at three to nothing, a blocked punt. Uh, Yep. And once you cleaned up those things, I, you really saw the dominance of that Hawkeye team. How much better they really were, I think, than Northern Illinois. Were you were you nervous at all, or were you uh, were you wondering what was happening there in that first half when we got to three to nothing at halftime? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't get nervous because I'm, I'm not on the team, so I thought it was a very uh, sluggish, uh, frankly, boring first half. I was surprised at just how how dull that was. I felt bad for the fans having to watch that, but uh, the second half did get. More interesting, a few things to actually talk about. Uh, you know, there was a lot of self-inflicted stuff, like you mentioned, but obviously, uh, you know, Northern Illinois, you know, missed two field goals and threw a really bad interception down in the red zone, too. So they had their own mistakes. Uh, their coach thinks that they outplayed Iowa in that first half. That's hard to argue. I think they probably did. It should have been up, you know, maybe a touchdown or so. So that uh, that game could have gone the other direction, I think, uh, with a few other breaks. But then Iowa figured some stuff out, put the pedal down, and did what they had to do, and uh, actually ended up being a really kind of dominating win. Chad, that's basically where we were also, right? Tale of two halves type thing. Yeah, I think the thing that uh, maybe impressed me the most um, about the Hawkeyes was uh, how well those backup tackles played. I mean, only two tackles for loss for Northern Illinois, you know, and they had 114 a season ago, and that was, you know, the main storyline coming into this game, how those guys would hold up. 
and and just seeing them kind of block in the second half. And and we talked about it off the air, Ross. Iowa had several runs called back, and I would you know at least one very iffy call uh, that took out a forty-five yard run uh, that Kirk Ferentz sounded off on yesterday for a couple minutes. Uh, video at hawkcentral.com on that one. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, you know, so I think that, like we talked about, it could have been even more dominant um, offensively. Now, negatively, I would say the run defense, especially with Amani Jones in there, was was Suspect. was quite leaky. Yeah. And, and Northern Illinois did not help itself with its play calling. I don't know what – they would get seven yard, a seven-yard run on first down, and then all of a sudden they're passing on second down, and then – and then you got then Iowa has you where they want you on third down with that defensive line. So I thought I thought Northern Illinois kind of helped Iowa out a lot there too. I don't, I don't I'm not ready to declare this a dominant yeah. defense yet. All right, let's talk about some things we were really impressed with. I thought uh, that you mentioned it the the tack, backup tackles playing well. I thought once Amani Jones came out, was did Jack Hockaday play that well or was that a uh, a perception deal? Mark was that just that. Amani Jones was in the wrong place and in uh, several right. plays in a row, and all of a sudden Hackaday wasn't. Were you impressed with the way uh, Hackaday came in and, and re- replaced him? Yeah, I, I think he settled things down. I don't think he was, you know, great by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly the guys were positioned better. I think uh, they said Jones was just way too hyped up, and uh, parents even used the word hyperventilating. I'm not sure if that's actually what happened, but uh, but it certainly got close to it. And uh, Hockaday, of course, fifth year senior, was not having any of those problems. Either. So he was he was a calming influence. Uh, both of his outside linebackers said that that uh, that he came in and kind of took charge a little bit. I'm not sure he's, a, he's obviously not the athlete that Imani Jones is, but I mean sometimes it's just a matter of getting guys, make sure guys are in the right place at the right time, and that's what he did do. Yeah. Okay. So Chad, another thing that I was uh, impressed with, um, we knew that Noah Fant was going to be a matchup nightmare for Northern Illinois. We probably didn't talk enough about how much of an impact T.J. Hawkinson could possibly make on that game. He was dynamic, and then A.J. Epinesa lived up to the hype. That was so much fun to see him finally get a chance to really, uh, you know, get a couple downs, get into a, a little bit of a rhythm, yeah. and get into that backfield. Yeah, when I rewatched the game, he stood out even more. Yeah. I mean, just as, as his his closing pursuit on the quarterback, and he knocked that guy around a couple times too. I think he ended up with a couple of hurries. Obviously had the sack fumble um, that Chauncey Golston picked up, so uh, really strong game from those those defensive ends, all three of them. That's that's certainly going to be. The, we've talked the last three years, Mark, about the defensive line being a strength. So far, yeah. so good for that. Uh, maybe this third time's a charm on, you know, the not jinxing them. <laughs> yeah. Mark, well, they're on pace for sixty sacks, so that's yeah. not bad. Mark, I've got one that I, I know you're going, I'm hoping that you're going to say was a big positive, but I just want to put it on a tee for you, first of all, and, and open it up. I'm interested to see where your brain goes. What were you most impressed with Uh-oh. by the Hawkeyes on Saturday? Uh, I'd say definitely the defensive line. Um, as Chad just mentioned, I thought they were, that's a pretty veteran Northern Illinois offensive front. I mean, I think they returned all those starters. So they weren't just uh, picking out a bunch of little kids. I mean, those guys are pretty good. A couple of those guys, I think, were all conference last year, actually. So. Uh, and they got better as the game went on. They talked about how they won one team down, and they showed that they can actually do that with only six guys basically playing from the bulk of that game. Um, I thought they were very impressive. Really set the tone there. I mean, the defense as a whole was good, but the, the, the defensive line definitely stood out. I would thought for sure you were going to eventually get around to Kyle Gronaweg. I thought punt return. I, I thought about that, but that's, I'm going to let Chad have that one. 
That's his baby. He you, loves that. Go ahead, Chad. I'll, I should have put it on a tee for you then. I, <laughs> that was a re- that was fun to see. That it, that looks like a guy. He's got that like spark. It reminded me yeah. of, and I Hawkeye fans might not like this too much, but Andy Brodell was mm-hmm. a guy that every wow. time you felt like, man, something magic could happen here. He's just got that kind of spunk. He's got that ability to make that first guy miss. And I know Brodell did have the one against Iowa State that led to that muddy win. Um, I hope we get a few more than just one or two from Kyle Gronaweg because that looked really fun, and he looks like the right guy. Great decisions. Yeah, I mean, just think, just look at the stats. It wasn't eye-opening, uh, five returns for 42 yards. But just, I mean, even just doing the math right there, that's that's an extra first down every possession, If what he did, as opposed to what happened last year. And actually probably more because <laughs> – Half the time, those guys let the ball bounce past them. Mm-hmm. You know, so he actually caught it and returned it. I mean, the, the bar is low here, and improving from last year. Think, but I'm wondering if it's one of those middle linebacker situations <laughs> that we just had such low. I know we're just like blown away by a guy that averaged eight yards per punt return, but but really, yeah, I he mean, did make the. It, it seemed like he every, made stuff out of nothing. Exactly, he yeah. was making guys miss, and he he looks like he's kind of got that speed. He even the one where he didn't get many yards. And he was chased out of bounds. He made the edge and looks very quick doing it. So yeah. I was I was excited for that, and it was one of the pleasant surprises. <laughs> we joked about it on our, on our post game podcast, but uh, that was like one of the first players Kirk Ferentz mentioned after he wins, you know, victory number one hundred forty four in his like opening statement. I think it was, you know, Kyle Gronaway. I think might have been the first player he mentioned. So uh, I think you know, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's but that's, that's something you probably never thought would happen. <laughs> Rodell was a great comparison, though. By the way, Ross, I, I didn't talk yeah. about that. That's that's really good. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's that Hawkeye history that my racked yeah. up in my brain in there. There you go. All right, let's talk a little bit about this week's game. Um, ISU going to test those linebackers with David Montgomery, and they've got some real talent in the slot. That's one of the things as I kind of look at this game, and as we broke it down, even in the preseason, Mark, I see that as a huge advantage for Iowa State's offense. Uh, or you're obviously still in that uh, that boat with me, I'd assume, even though we didn't get to see Iowa State play in that yeah. that first uh, that first week. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we saw what Montgomery could do all last year, so that he's not a mystery at all anymore. That's maybe one thing that's an Iowa's advantage. Like uh, you see, yesterday that you know last year they didn't really have a lot to go on in terms of defending David Montgomery. He was kind of an unknown going into that game. They've got a lot more film, obviously, a lot more experience with them. It's pretty much negative experience from their perspective, but uh, I think they have a better idea what they want to do. I'm just not sure, you know, he, he's going to do what he wants to do too. So I'm not sure that they can have enough to stop him. But uh, I bet they have a better game plan. What do you think, Chad? What do the what do the Hawkeyes have to do to stop David Montgomery or or contain him? Yeah, the uh, Kirk Ferentz's uh, solution is make him run sideways. Uh, it's easier said than done. <laughs> uh, instead of forward. Uh, yeah, he made them look pretty silly last year, and even Josie Jewell um, had his hands yeah. full with him. And I, I actually think Jewell got hurt on that one touchdown run by Montgomery, and and that kind of hurt Iowa's defense down the stretch as well. Uh, not that he would ever admit it, but um, how to stop that? Jake Travas talked to him yesterday about it. Said, yeah, it "Sounds it's like all about leverage with him," and and he said, "You have to keep your feet moving all the time. Uh, you can't if you stop." Then that's when you're in big trouble, and we saw that with Akram Wadley, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, so you just said we just got to all be continue to move and, and you know move toward the guy, get a lot of guys there. He said eleven hats on the ball. I would recommend not you know you know not hitting anybody late. <laughs> that would defeat the purpose. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I mean, 
Iowa had has had trouble with dynamic backs in the past at times. Obviously, we've we saw that with a gentleman from Penn State last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. last two years. Just playing on uh, on Sunday now. <laughs> All right. So, what did you guys learn? Anything? You had some interviews yesterday, Chad. Is that right? Did you guys get a chance to chat with some guys? Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of our big week to do that. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, we talked a little bit about the linebacker stuff already, but that that continues to be a fascinating topic for me just because of this game. Um, the, the linebackers are going to be uh, in a tough spot trying to defend David Montgomery and their three and four wide receiver sets. Yeah. And they, I don't know, Mark did a story on, uh, you know, giving up 41 last year, Mark. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the defensive guys you talked to? They seemed like they were pretty... Uh, motivated by last year's win. <laughs> yeah, I would think that's one word. I think embarrassed is still another one. I mean, they gave up 467 yards uh, that day, as we all we all saw that. Um, and they made it look pretty easy for Iowa State at times. And I, I would say that was probably, I know they gave up a lot of yards to Penn State, but that may have been their worst performance last year. And I think they feel that, that that's not who they are. That's not who they, they can be. And they, they and they, that's the other thing, too, is they don't have any film to watch from last week. So what are, what are they going to watch? They're watching last year's game. All this week, so how painful is that for that defense to watch them just kind of constantly? They just missed so many tackles in that game. It wasn't just Montgomery, but he was the biggest, uh, the biggest culprit there. But um, so they're, I think they are motivated. I think they're embarrassed. I think they realize that they've got to be a lot better. You can't expect to go up forty-one points and win. I mean, uh, Jadros even told me the offense won us that game last year. Basically, I mean, we were we were kind of there. They did get one turnover late. Uh, I think they had one sack last year uh, on Park Jacob Park. Uh, they know that this new quarterback, Kemp, is not a guy that's going to throw the ball around. He hasn't had an interception in the last 130 uh, pass attempts. So uh, I think they're feeling uh, a little bit of, I wouldn't say pressure, but I guess, but I think they know that they've got to really, really step up and be a lot better than they were a year ago. And they're going to have to do it without Josie Jewell and Josh Jackson. So that's uh, that's not easy at all. <laughs> Are you scared now? No, no, not yet. I think we'll get to our <laughs> predictions here before we get to, to Cardinals baseball in about uh, nine, ten minutes. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about what maybe Iowa fans should know about this Iowa State team. Uh, yeah. We talk about that offense to Hawkeye defense matchup and how over the middle is going to be a weak spot for the Hawkeyes. It's one of the places on paper that Iowa State does have an advantage. Montgomery coming out of the backfield, strong guys in the slot against a linebacking core that we're still trying to figure out. They're still trying to figure out in Iowa City. Let's talk about some other things that Hawkeye fans should know about. Uh, trenches specifically here, Chad. And let's put Iowa State on offense, Iowa on defense. Yeah. I was really impressed, Mark was too, with that front four, that defensive line. You bring in more depth with Lattimore and uh, and Reef back into the, the That's mix. That's big, yep. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is probably the concern for this Iowa State team is that offensive line. Yeah, you nailed it. That's uh, from talking to the Iowa State reporters at, at the register. Uh, you know, it's clear that that's their biggest concern is offensive line against, and that's Iowa's biggest strength. So it's kind of the defensive line. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting when you, uh, you know, when you look at Iowa State's strength: Hakeem Butler, David Gom- Montgomery, uh, Matthew Eaton, Deshante Jones. Those guys are all playmakers, and those guys are going to be matched up maybe against Nick Neiman and Jack Hockaday at times. So uh, that. It's like strength on weakness on one side, strength on weakness on the other. It would be so interesting to see how this plays out. Mark, what else? Uh, it, just focusing on that right now with Iowa State on offense, yeah. Iowa on defense. Where, are there any other mismatches or advantages that you see? Well, I think two things that interest me. One, Iowa State has talked about tight ends in recent years, but now they got Chase Allen. I think they feel really good about him, a six-seven guy. 
be very curious to see if their tight ends get more involved in their offense this year. That could be a big issue for Iowa's linebackers, another big issue potentially. And then I think, to me, the, the key on the Iowa defense, at least in the back seven, is going to be Amani Hooker. I think he's got to have a huge game, and he's got to really help cover up some of the mistakes that maybe a, a Hockaday or, or a Welch makes because that guy can cover a lot of ground. I think he could be a guy that actually helps Iowa's defense overcome limitations. Gervas uh, mentioned to me that they have been practicing more nickel this week. He feels that that yep. that'll probably be in the game plan. Not a surprise. Iowa's done that in the past against Iowa State uh, with those multi receivers. But so it wouldn't. I would be. In, I would be not surprised to see them pull out Hockaday yeah. and put in Julius Brents and let Welch and Neiman be the two linebackers. I mean, Welch. Mm-hmm. Welch almost looked to me when I rewatched the game like a middle linebacker out there. So uh, I could yeah. see that. And possibly. he was one. Yeah, right. And so uh, uh, I could see that happening. So I think we'll see a lot more nickel. I wouldn't play one snap of nickel against Northern Illinois. So no, didn't uh, need to. So, and maybe that's maybe that's by design by the Hawkeyes. Maybe they didn't want to yeah. show nickel in that opener. Yep. Maybe they didn't want to show Julius Brents. You know. Yeah, absolutely. There's games. I mean, when we talked to Brian Ferentz, there was some gamesmanship there. Too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No question. I think that's why he was so complimentary. I think there was some gamesmanship <laughs> in his comp, how complimentary he was. All right, let's swap it around now. Iowa on offense, Iowa State on defense. I think a lot of those cliches go away. You actually put strength on strength and question mark on mm-hmm. question mark. Yeah, right. When you do this, because that defensive line, they seem to have some uh, hope for that 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 front at Iowa State. And I think you put Wirfs and Jackson back in there who have to be hungry and know they've got to prove some stuff, that's going to be smash-mouth football down in the trenches. I was very impressed with the interior of Iowa's offensive line. I was not expecting them mm-hmm. to be that dominant. And uh, so I'm with you, Ross, quietly encouraged about offensive line play. I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. I think they look really good without maybe arguably their two best uh, blockers. And now they're going to get those guys back. So I think that is a huge strength for them. I, I don't know a lot about Iowa State's defensive front, so I guess we'll find out more. I know they're missing uh, a really good linebacker from last year. But uh, uh, I think I'm sure Iowa wants to try to control the clock and, and run the ball more, just like the second half of this game. Um, and I think they have the chance to do that. Now the question, of course, is going to be running back health, maybe. But, uh, but the offensive right. line, I think, is going to be really, really good. Well, Ray Liam is one of their best players, defensive tackle. Yeah, uh, right. Defensive end, Ja'Qu- Jaquan Bailey, one of Iowa State's best players. Like you said, this is a position of strength for the Cyclones, no no doubt about it. So, uh, Chris Williams, when I talked to him in the offseason, he said, if Iowa's offensive line can hold up against that defensive line, advantage Hawkeyes. That he's, He thinks mm-hmm. that's the key matchup. All right, it's prediction ah. time, dude. It's time to do it. You want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. I think that the Hawkeyes do have an advantage in in having Iowa State not played. And I look at that first half and the rust. The It takes a while to get into the season. Uh, I'm stealing a line from Andrew Downs in his office earlier this week. He said, I'm really glad that first half didn't happen against Iowa State. And that's what Iowa State's going to be dealing with. I think you probably move this game as much as a touchdown from what your prediction was before. And it's probably a first-half touchdown that you take away from Iowa State. I... I loved the way that three-headed monster looked, even if it's just Sargent and uh, and Torin Young. I think this Hawkeye offense will move the ball again. I I think like a thirty-five twenty-one win for the Hawkeyes. Mark, oh, yeah, uh, that's interesting. I uh, I guess I don't put as much stock into that. The fact that they didn't play last week, uh, this game just has its own energy, um, and I I know those guys will be pumped. Uh, I, I don't feel like uh, a lot of the normal cliches apply to this series. 
Uh, I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's a competitive game. I think these teams are very evenly matched overall across the board. And so I'm sticking with uh, my earlier prediction, which is that uh, the Cyclones get a little bit of payback and get a three-point win over here this time, 24-21. It's a good pick. You know I've been laboring over this. because I <laughs> Chad picked, is struggling. <laughs> because I picked the Cyclones in the offseason. Um, but I will. Here, here are the factors I've been considering uh, on whether to, to switch my pick. The layoff, I think, I feel is, is a big deal. Another thing that's kind of hidden behind this whole thing, Iowa State plays Oklahoma next week. That's a big wow. game. I mean, that's a bigger game. No, Don't you think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if they want to get to the Big 12 title game, this wow. game doesn't matter. Uh, I think I do think going on the road for your opener, it, it's a, that's a different animal too. It's one thing to get the, the rust out on the – you know, in your home field, you know, against a weaker opponent. Mm-hmm. We've seen Iowa State do that against you and I in the past, Iowa, you know, last weekend. Um, and I was more impressed with the offensive line. I was more impressed with the defensive line than I thought I would be. Uh, and I just there's something that tells me that uh, the sellout crowd, the north end zone, starting to get into night game type magic at Kinnick, I, I think this could be Iowa State's year, but I am going to flip my pick. I'm taking away a touchdown from Iowa State. I got the Hawkeyes pulling this one out, 24-21. Wow, pulling this one oh. out, 24-21. I, I, there sure, you go. Yep, I like it. It is so interesting to me, and Chad, or Chris and I talked about this on our show, that Tommy and Randy, the, the writers for the Register that cover the Cyclones, they both picked Iowa to win this game, and Chad and Mark, the guys that cover Iowa, both picked Iowa State to win this game early <laughs> on, and Chris and I, the two fans, both landed with our, with our team colors. That's how close... Everybody sees this game yeah. on paper. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would, I'd still say it's a sixty forty type game. Yeah, hundred you know? percent. Yeah, I, I'm a, the fan in me is coming out. I, I saw that second <laughs> half. I got really excited about that. Mark, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you joining us here. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon, buddy. That's Mark Emmert, Chad Lystico. Set up another fun one. Great interview with Brian Ferentz. Make sure you download the podcast. Cardinals baseball next.